You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Of biblical eldership, I'm calling it. And really we'll look at biblical leadership in the church generally. Uh, the outline that I started with last time was blown by the about three quarters of the way through the lesson yesterday, or last time. So I don't really know where we're going to go. Uh, hopefully we'll get to some of the passages in Acts today. But we looked at reasons for a study like this, and I think we found enough uh, reasons that this is a worthwhile study, uh, as long as I don't mess it up like that. See, I have the ability to make very strange sounds like that. I think Chad fixed it. Uh, we talked about three Greek words last time. Does anybody remember what those three words were? Three Greek words for the office of elder. Not just. <laughs> right, that's one. Presbyteros was one. Yeah, it doesn't really matter how you say it, right, Anna? Because it's Greek. We don't speak Greek. Episcopos is the other that is overseer or bishop. And she knows the other one? Poimain, right? Poimain, and that is shepherd or pastor. Those are the three words. And we kind of talked about what each of them means. So one of the things I want to just make sure that I share, I don't want there to be a false impression about this. We talked about presbyteros or elder and how it generally just means an older person. And then we talked about the qualifications for elders do not include a chronological age requirement. We saw that Timothy was a relatively young man. He was he was an, uh, acted in an elder capacity. But I want to clear something up about that. We have to respect age. Age does bring with it wisdom. Right? I'm making a narrow point that there is no chronological age requirement for eldership. That's a true statement. But all other things constant, I much prefer an older man to a younger man as an elder. Because there is wisdom that comes from age, just from time spent on this planet. Right, so if you are to ask me who I look up to, who I look to, who I imitate, who, who points me to Christ, there would be older men. Uh, a couple of them are here today. I won't single them out because it would probably embarrass them. One of them isn't here, so I will single him out. That's Dale. I look to Dale. Uh, if you've ever spent any time with Dale Schultz, he's an older man that has great wisdom. Uh, when I talk to him, I understand how a person ought to talk. Because okay? I've never heard an unkind word from him. He's always building everybody up. So he's a guy that I look to. We all have to look to our elders in the general sense as people that we respect and admire. The narrow point I was making was just that it's not a requirement for eldership. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So we had those three words. And Ray brought up a point last time that we kind of had a little bit of fun with, but I want to address kind of seriously. Uh, it's about titles, honorifics. The three words that we use there, and they end up being a lot of different, a lot more than three words in English, but the elder, 
pastor, overseer. Those are all descriptive terms, right? They're not really titles. They're descriptive terms. This person that has this office is to be a shepherd or a pastor, which just means shepherd. So that means they act like a shepherd. They lead their flock gently. They're willing to defend the flock against false teaching, false doctrine, any dangers to the flock. They're overseers, means they're watchful, they're guardians. And they do have some general oversight leadership responsibilities. And they're elders. That means they're, they're men of a certain degree of wisdom and knowledge, a certain kind of calmness, right? Those are descriptive terms. Nowhere in Scripture will you see anybody referred to as Pastor Blah. You don't see Pastor Timothy or Elder Timothy, uh, Pastor Epaphras or any of those things. You don't even see, I don't think, you correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe your translation might be a little different. You don't even see Apostle Paul. Very often you see Paul an Apostle, right? Paul an Apostle. Which is a little bit different, isn't it? Right? So, this is what Ray brought up. There's this passage from Matthew that you can't possibly see because the light's too bright. Hold on a second. I'm going over here to turn off the light. Which light is it? This one? Okay. You realize all the things Jim does when he's not here. This is the passage that Ray was talking about where we need to be careful with uh, referring to men in certain ways. And this is Christ speaking, Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. It says, Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. For they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Okay? So that's the principle that Ray was, that Ray referred to. So we have to be, that would say, be very careful about calling men by titles, right? Spiritual titles. Rabbi, teacher, master, guide, all of those sorts of titles. But look at these, some of these other passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, this is Paul. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, that you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. So Paul refers to himself as the father of the Corinthian believers. Right? And then Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Whoever wrote Hebrews, you can decide... Hi, Dale. Dale showed up. Good. <laughs> I had used you as an example before you got here, so it worked out perfect. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And then Hebrews thirteen twenty four, Greet all of your leaders and all the saints. 
those from Italy greet you. So how do we put that together? Paul called himself a father. Hebrews tells us to obey our leaders. And yet Christ seems to say to call no man father, teacher, leader. Everyone says, I guess, the Greek has a different meaning. Um, it almost does. The father doesn't. Father's the same word. Pater. But where it says, oh, that's nice. nice. Where it says uh, leaders, one is your leader, that's more literally guide, would be someone who guides. It's a different word than what is used in Hebrews, that's true. But what Paul uses is the same. Call no man father. And he says, I am I'm your father. Yeah. yeah, apostles, absolutely. We'll see that here in a bit as we, well, if I ever get to those passages in Acts, you'll see that. Um, but here, this is Christ himself speaking. And when he says, call no man your father, call no man father, first to everyone, including apostles. No way to connect it? Right. Right. You see the point, Dave? I don't know if you can all hear it. But we're not to equate any man with Christ in any way, in any role. That includes elder. That includes your, your, your biological father that raised you. It includes anybody who's in authority over you. They're not God. They are not Christ. And don't, don't equate them. So that's kind of the general idea of the passage. But I think there's I think there's something practical. I mean, that's the main idea, but there's a, kind of another practical application has to do with this eldership. Tom? I'm just looking at the, the verses prior to in, in the... Uh, in Matthew? Matthew. Right? Obviously, these are people who are leaders but are not worthy of heading out based on... That's clearly the context, especially if you read after after that. It's woe to you, teachers. Woe to you, scribes. Woe to you. He's talking about hypocritical sort of leadership here, for sure. We can't get away from that. Even looking at the context, it says don't, to call no man father. Doesn't it? Does Paul call himself father, actually? He, he's not taking on the title 
a designation, an honorific of Father. He's not saying, I, Father Paul, da-da-da, is he? There's a little bit of a difference. You see that? I can I can submit to leadership, and I must, according to Scripture. I am submissive to leadership. I acknowledge leadership. I acknowledge there are people who teach me, that are my teachers, that are my leaders. I ha- I can acknowledge that, but I am not to call them by a, by those sorts of names, because that usurps the names of God. Okay? God is, in fact, my teacher. God is in fact my leader. Right? So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call Jess Pastor Jess. Jess is a pastor. And I say that. And I I can even say Jess is my pastor. But I won't say Pastor Jess. And I certainly won't say Father Jess. He's tried to make me say that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> oh that was Uncle, that's different. Uh, if they're mixed up. Okay. Do you see that? Do you see a difference there? Any of these sorts of titles, bishop, whoever, monsignor, whatever, cardinal, whatever, father, whatever, spiritual titles are unbiblical and idolatrous, and we really should avoid them. Now, I don't. I'm not going to be super dogmatic about this because I don't think when you say Pastor Jim that you mean by that that he's, you're putting him in authority above Christ. But I'll tell you, it makes him very uncomfortable when you call him that because of these passages. He would prefer that you call him Jim. Okay. He doesn't like that. Does that make sense? How that works? I wouldn't use it as a title. I wouldn't say, hey, Teacher Jim. Yeah. <laughs> Now, in a non-spiritual sense, you know, if you, you're you're in school and a kid calls somebody teacher, that's that's respectful. I I think these are spiritual titles that Christ is talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, just what do you think about that, brother? Brother, so and so. It'd be fine to say Brother Mitch, uh, Brother Thomas, because we are all brothers. But to use it maybe as a designation as a pastor or something might not be a good idea. Tom? I think something's going wrong. I think what you're saying is there's a difference between function versus title. Yeah, right. And you can call a person by their function, which doesn't necessarily give them a title. Right. Exactly. Yes. You could, and Jim is, you could say he's my teacher, he's a teacher, he's a, one of the teachers at Goody Church, one of the pastors. All those things are true and fine. I mean, that's the way Paul is using this. I'm, I'm, I'm your father in Christ, but he's not saying I'm Father Paul. I'm to be referred to as Father. You, can you just, you just get the sense of that immediately, don't you? Or, I'm Paul, your father. That's a loving, sort of condescending thing that Paul's talking about. I'm your father. I love you. 
where if he said, call me Father Paul, well, okay, that's different, isn't it? That's usurping. And we're going to keep making the same point over and over and over again. Um, first of all, just so just to conclude that, I, I wouldn't call anybody Father Mulcahy or Reverend Sharpton or any of that sort of stuff, okay? Reverend Sharpton, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> be nice to actually be an elder. Anyway, be a believer would maybe be a good thing, too. I, I don't know. But mm-hmm. I think when Paul refers to himself as your father in Christ, he means he's the one that evangelized you. I'm the one that led you to Christ. It's usually what when they say they're he's your father in Christ, it's what he what he means. He clearly taught the Corinthians, so he was a spiritual father to them. I think that's all that means. The scripture refers to all of us as saints, right? We're all set apart. We're all saints. All of us who are believers, set apart ones, saints. We're referred to as priests, all of us. We're a holy priesthood. We don't have an intermediary. None of us who are Christians have an intermediary between us and God. It doesn't exist. Right? We have access to the Father well, through Christ. I mean, there's no human intermediary. We don't have... We don't have to go to anybody to confess our sins. There's none of that. And that's what, that's the point that Christ is, is making here. We're all brothers and sisters in that sense. We're all equal spiritually. There's no, no difference. We all have access to the same Father through the same Spirit. We have the same Word. Right? So there's no, there's really no room for titles. And there's room for roles. Right? There's clearly different roles in the church. That's what we've been talking about. But just not these titles and honorifics. Okay? Now, some of you are thinking, well, I call him Pastor Jim out of respect. Right? Well, okay. Lots of ways to respect somebody rather than using a title that may be unbiblical. So just, I would just encourage you to spend some time kind of thinking through that and how you want to, how you want to do it. Now, how about kids? Is it different with kids? Well, doesn't, there's no, nothing in Scripture here that tells us it's different with kids, is it? I think it's really important that my kids respect the office of elder and deacon, and they respect people who serve, they respect their Awana leaders, um, but I don't want them to use titles. So I don't want them to forget who's in charge. Okay. Anything else, Gio? Any comments on that? Yeah, that seems appropriate. It's respectful. And Mr. Is a, is a fine thing. But I can tell you he's, he's pretty uncomfortable. Any of us would be uncomfortable with, with Pastor Jess or Elder Dave or, yeah, that's just, yeah, don't like that. Uh, okay. So, kind of continuing with a bit of a review of some things that were left open last time. Did this at the end. And I think I might have done it a little too quickly. Um, These were three passages that we looked at last time that kind of demonstrate 
that this is one role. These three Greek words that we looked at are one person, one role. Okay, The elder, the overseer, the shepherd are the same person. And we thought from these three passages where very clearly these passages are referring to the same group of people using those three words. Does that make sense? So I just want to continue on with that. The, in Ephesians 4.11, you can, you can turn there. We'll spend a little time in Ephesians 4.11 today. And we will actually, hopefully now, start uh, just going through different passages. Ephesians 4.11 lists four offices. or groups of uniquely gifted individuals is probably a better way to say it. Ephesians 4.11. It says that he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. It's part of a really amazing, beautiful passage about uh, the, the gifts that God gives to the church, to individuals in the church. He's pointing out that we're all, though we're all unified, we're all also different and uniquely gifted. Everybody's uniquely gifted for their specific spot in this holy temple that's the church. And it's a really amazing passage. And this brings out examples here. He says some are apostles, uniquely gifted people who are apostles. Some are prophets. Some are evangelists. And some are pastor teachers. So there's really only one, two, three, four listed there. Apostles. Anybody know the Greek word for apostles? Apostolos, apostles. <laughs> it's a transliteration. It's not really translated. It means one who is sent, kind of a, an envoy, somebody who is sent. And it has, it's really kind of an interesting word to study in its own right. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever really studied it, but we think of apostles, what do we think of? If I said there are the apostles, what do you think of? Think of the twelve. And then you kind of go, well, <laughs> and you just subtract Judas, right? And you add in Matthias, and then you say, well, then there's Paul. But that's what you think of, right? Those, that group of men that could be defined, the twelve. But that's, Scripture uses it to refer to the twelve, but also uses the word apostles to refer to a larger group of men that would have included Barnabas, apparently Silas, um, James, the, the Lord's brother, and some others. So, apostle isn't it's kind of used in two different ways. When it refers to the apostles of Christ, often it's, it's really referring to the twelve. But then it'll talk about the apostle to the church or the apostle of the churches, and that will include these other, these other men. If you look at Ephesians 2.20, just back up a second. It's actually, well, I can't, I can't read every verse of the Bible as we do this, so I'm just going to read 2.20. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It's talking about the church being built. So Christ Jesus is the cornerstone, the ultimate source on which everything having to do with the church is based. And then we're given a foundation. That foundation was the apostles and prophets. Foundation is built once, finished, and the rest of the building is built. So there's the sense in which apostles and prophets were foundational. That is, they no longer exist. 
Yes. Yep. Yep. It's a little bit different than the Old Testament prophets. We'll see that in a second. I got some different uh, examples. But it's just like apostles, prophets were foundational, and it, it just they don't exist today. One of the requirements for an apostle was that he had to, to have served with Christ, earthly ministry, or seen the risen Christ. And there will probably be people that claim they've seen the risen Christ, uh, but they're lying. So <laughs> there, there's no apostles today. Right? Prophets, um, as Ron asked about, I'll give you three examples from Acts that you'll remember as I, I mentioned them from when we were in Acts. New Testament prophets were men and women. There's no requirement that prophets were men. They were men and women, and they had very specific prophecy. Very specific. It wasn't like the Old Testament prophets that would give out judgments that were to come and and urging people to repent and turn to God, right? Like you read in Isaiah, Jeremiah. This is very different. Remember Agabus? Remember the prophet Agabus in Acts? Remember he took Paul's belt? He tied it around his hand and says, this is what will happen to the man who, whose belt this is. And very specific, wasn't it? Says, this is what's going to happen to you, Paul. And Paul's reaction was, I know. I'm ready. I'll do this. Okay. Agabus also warned of a famine that was to come, and that caused an offering to be taken up and to, de- to be delivered. If you remember that, that was in Acts 13. I know, Acts 11. In Acts 13, we don't exactly understand exactly what happened here, but in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit gives a direct communication to set apart Barnabas and Paul for missionary work. And Barnabas seems to be included in the number of the prophets. So Barnabas seems to be referred to as a prophet and an apostle and an elder and an all-around amazing guy. So those are New Testament prophets. Very specific revelation given for the building of a church. Very specific. All the examples we have are, are like that. And again, those are foundational. But they were especially gifted men and women giving specific revelation. And this was all done, apostles and prophets, all done prior to the completion of the Word of God. The Word of God is now here. It's sufficient for, for everything. Uh, we no longer get specific revelation of that type from God. Okay. So those are foundational. The next one, one we never really talk about very much, is the evangelist. Very little is said about the evangelist in the Bible. There's no qualifications given for evangelists other than they are evangelists. They're especially gifted at sharing the gospel. You know that's what evangelist means. It's again a transliteration of a Greek word. Uh, English translation would be something like a, a good newser, or a gospeler, right? somebody who shares the gospel. It's used three times. I think it's kind of interesting. It's used here in Ephesians 4.11, this noun, evangelist. It's used in Acts 21.8. Anybody know who it refers to in Acts 21.8? You remember the story? You're thinking. Acts 21, that was a long time ago. Refers to a specific individual. Philip, right. Philip the Evangelist. Yeah, you're, this is open book. <laughs> By the way, you're allowed to look. Um, 
One other time it's used, 2 Timothy 4, 5. Timothy is told to do the work of an evangelist. Timothy is another one we'll we'll look at in in a minute that has a lot of different functions, hard to pin down. But he was a gifted evangelist. He uh, was an elder. He did did eldering work, but he really wasn't a local church elder. See that? But he was an evangelist. So those are the three times it's used. It's used for Timothy, for Philip, and then here to refer to evangelist. So you see why we don't say a lot about it. There's not a lot that you can really say about it. We know they're especially gifted people. Their gift is to be able to effectively and easily communicate the gospel. Who are these people? I don't know. But sometimes you find them, right? Sometimes you see them. We really need to kind of, this is one where we need to spend a little more attention on it. If somebody has that gift, wow, I mean, what a tremendous gift to the church. We use them in Awana. You know, we can use them in a lot of different ways, open-air evangelism. These are people that are especially gifted. We need to find them and use those gifts. And I believe there are some in our church. I think there's one teenager, actually. And we'll see if that gift grows. But that's all we know about them. The last one mentioned here is pastor-teacher, which we've been talking about quite a bit. And there's two other offices that are not mentioned in this passage in Ephesians 4.11. They're mentioned elsewhere. And I'm just bringing these all out so that you see really what an elder is versus what these other offices are. So you see that they're distinct. Uh, deacons or servants. Deacons is another transliteration. It just means minister, servant. Um, really think of them as ministers of mercy, all right? helpers. Of people that look after the, the well-being of the people in the congregation. And then the women, or women. And that one I don't even want to talk about. <laughs> that's a, we will talk about it, but just now, right now, that's a, almost a lesson in itself. It's a big can of worms about, it, it really is. Who are these women? Are they deaconesses? Are they female deacons? Or are they deaconesses? It's just some other maybe sort of thing. Are they the wives of deacons? Are they the wives of deacons and elders? Is it just women? I'll tell you later. It's not female deacons, I'll tell you later. Okay. So all of that is by way of identifying for you kind of biblical forms of church leadership. Okay? Biblical church leadership, and we'll see, we'll look at this again in some detail, hopefully. Maybe next time, but maybe maybe in a minute. A plurality of elders, meaning more than one elder, qualified men, deacons. Hopefully there's an evangelist there somewhere, but that's not a leadership role. And then these women, whatever that is. But they're not elders. Okay? So that's kind of what church government looks like in the Bible, in the New Testament. You know, in the New Testament, we're going to see two subject to apostles and prophets, which, you know, that's not today. It is all subject to the Word of God. Okay, fine. What is an unbiblical form of church leadership, church government that, that you've seen? Congregational rule, democracy. What, first of all, explain to me what congregational rule is. A lot of things, right? Like the color of the 
pews and the color of the carpet and <laughs> what kind of amazing things have you voted on <laughs> in the past? <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a bad idea, isn't it? I mean, it, it, we know it's a bad idea, but we see from Scripture that it's not God's plan. Right? God, God has people in mind that are supposed to be the elders of the church. People in mind are supposed to be the deacons of the church, and they have different roles. And they need to serve those roles. What are some other, besides congregational roles, Thomas? Um, the Moses model, where there's head of, like an individual who leads the church, who right. is the pinnacle leader of the church, and it's the one that's not. The problem was many. <laughs> <laughs> right. The, that, that one guy, the pastor, right? right. Now, and we still, and I've got to be honest with you, I hear that language in this church. Right? This is, this is the pastor of the church. That's unbiblical. It's also wrong. Okay, you gotta, you gotta understand it. He, he is a pastor. Yeah, a pastor is fine, but the pastor is not. Okay, the the pastor of Grace Community Church is not John John MacArthur. He's one of the pastors, and he is a special pastor of that church. But he wouldn't take on the. He wouldn't like to be called the pastor of that church. Same way here. That's not a biblical church model. Um, I think Ron brought up last time, what if you only have one qualified man to be an elder? Well, then you know you do what you got to do, but you certainly look for other men who are qualified to be elders. That's a, that's a, I don't know if you all heard that, but who the congregation can be when, when in selecting a pastor really and in making any decision, depending on how the church defines it, the congregation can be whoever shows up for the vote. Who, we had a church in town that had a, this sort of situation recently, and they had a congregational vote to decide who was the pastor. And their rules were all Christians who showed up to vote. Okay. How do we know who's a Christian, first of all? And it's amazing how many people showed up to vote. Right? So, it's just... Hmm. Women on the, yeah, the, the pastoral, uh, the committee to choose the pastor... Yeah, what about a deacon board? You see a deacon board in Scripture? Uh, A a board of any kind. You see a board? I don't even know what a board is. That comes from from business, the business world, and the church is not a business. Right. No problem with having, and we actually do that. Our deacons have, our, 
we meet with the deacons and the deacons know that their needs and actually Lanny kind of organizes, you know, here are the needs and here's here are the things we can do. But the point is that board is not in authority over the elders and, and deciding, you know, how much the elders get paid and how who's going to be an elder, who's not going to be an elder, that kind of thing. That is not, that's just not the role of deacons. They have an important role. I mean, you can't overstate the importance of the role of deacons, and we will look at that. But it's not oversight. The overseer is an elder. Yeah, there's a lot of churches that only have one elder. And I don't understand that. It's unbiblical, and it's really dangerous. It's that Moses model, and it's really dangerous. And you see some really good men, humble men who are elders, and they are the pastor of the church, and they do a fantastic job. You know, not quarreling with that, but it's really dangerous. It really would be very difficult. If you didn't have others that you could go to that were your equals, you know, in position, where you could you, know, you could make joint decisions. Uh, I don't know how you would do this. It's hard. Yes, Debbie? Yeah, how we decided how we would do that, I think that's just historical, the way it came about. You have to have, biblically, you need a plurality of elders, men that you recognize to be elders. They don't all have to have the same role. And we'll, we'll talk about it in more detail later. When Jim and Jess and I get together, we are equal in position, but we do, Jess and I both look to Jim as being, you know, chief among equals. That is, you know, if the, if the time came where, we, you know, we had to remove Jim or something, and this has nothing to do with anything that's happened recently, this is just a hypothetical. But if something came up where we had to remove Jim, we would do it, and we could do it. We're equal in that sense. But Jim is the main teaching elder of this church, and that's a good way to refer to him as the main teaching elder rather than the pastor. He does most of the adult teaching here, and he's paid. So there is that sense in which he is more involved and is, you know, first among equals. I'll tell you too, I looked, when, when we get together, I get, Jess, Jess and I would probably look to Jim as chief among elders. I see Jess as my superior. When it comes to youth, when it comes to certain things like some counseling issues, things like that, Jim and I look to Jess as, as first among equals. Youth, I kind of take the lead, but that's kind of how it works. What's important is we look to Scripture for every decision. So in the end, you know, it's not like we're we're having a vote or a battle of what decisions to make. Does that make sense? Thank you. 
Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So I thought I'd just a little side note, and we're kind of talking about that now. Uh, the question always arises: Who's in charge? We're always used to thinking of that, you know, having that one person in charge. I'll tell you how how we do things as elders when when we meet. Um, if there's something elderish to discuss, don't, sometimes we don't really know if there is or not. We just bring stuff up. And so somebody will bring up a concern. Say, hey, you know, this this person seems to be, you know, going down this path, and we talk about it. And never once, not one time that I can recall, the three of us meeting this way, has there ever been a dispute that I can recall? There's probably been some, we've had some discussion of, you know, what does this word, you know, as far as the Scripture goes, what, what does this mean, and, and how do we apply this? The reason is we're not in charge. We're not trying to make, we're not trying to decide what's right. We're trying to make sure that the word is followed. The word is in charge. God is in charge. He's, he's given us His word. We have to just follow it. Now, it's true. We we agree on a basic, you know, the basic framework. We understand theology, the basic hermeneutic. We agree on that. That makes it much simpler. Uh, but the truth is, the word is clear enough. It'll give us answers. We just have to search it out. And there are times when, you know, I'll, I'm listening to Jim or Jess, and I think, you know, I need to, I need to study that a little bit. I, I, I might be missing something there. And so we do that in humility, submission to the word and to each other. Go back and try to figure out what what the right thing is. And so that's kind of how it works. Sometimes I think that's frustrating to people, but I'll give you an example. 
Thank you, sir. Yeah, we will talk about that. There, yeah, there's there is uh, basically one qualification that's unique to elders, and that is that one, and it gets to giftedness. The Bible is mostly concerned about the character of elders. That's the one giftedness area, the one sort of characteristic of elders that they that the Bible mentions is teaching ability. It's a gift. Okay. So yes. Um, I get questions, a lot of questions sometimes. Like, I work with Lisa and Jamie in the youth thing. And Lisa is very organized and she's really great at getting everything together and doing all the youth stuff. And I basically come and teach a lesson. That's basically what I do. So, but she'll come to me and she'll say, hey, we need a, we need a theme for the, this summer event. We need a theme. And what can I tell her from scripture about a theme? Make sure it doesn't have any sexual implications. I mean, she knows these things. I mean, the basics of a theme, right? Make sure it's moral, whatever. So she says, well, but I need a theme. <laughs> Give me a theme. So what I do is I turn to whoever happens to be standing around. It was Tim, her son Tim. I said, Tim, give me a theme. He said, lemon? He said, there you go, lemon. <laughs> so that was our theme. It was lemon day. That was our theme, right? I have nothing to offer in a case like that. All we have as elders is the Word. That's all we have. And it's more than enough for everything that matters in faith and practice. It won't tell us what our theme ought to be. I mean, you can do the thing where you go, our theme should be, and I'm on a blank page. So that's, that's uh, right there. That didn't work for me. So that's what we do. If it, if it really, if there's nothing... If we don't have any authority from Scripture on the issue, it's not our issue. It isn't. It, it belongs to somebody else. Okay? It doesn't mean that we, you know, we can't offer some scriptural guidance if we have it, or even worldly wisdom if we have it, but it's not our role. That's why we don't have to have the one person who's in charge, because God is in charge, and we're not. <laughs> no, it's good to be creative. I'm just not. That's all I'm saying. I, I have nothing to offer in that case. No, 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 not at all. No. no, themes are great. Themes are wonderful. They're not biblical. They're not unbiblical. They're just there, and they're fine, and they're good. But uh, she doesn't ask me anymore. <laughs> it works out good. I think our last theme was mud. Was our other theme. That was unavoidable. Um, all right, I guess I need to be done just about. So next time we're going to look at some passages in Acts. Um, Acts chapter 11 is the first mention of Christian elders in Acts, where the elders are given an offering. We'll look at that briefly. And then we'll spend quite a bit of time in Acts 14, if you want to kind of look ahead to that. Acts 14, especially 19 through 23. We'll spend uh, 
fair amount of time in that. Okay. So, if there are any more uh, comments or questions, Marilyn? <laughs> sure. Or you could say, this is Jim. He's a pastor at our church in Kootenai. Yeah, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to be dogmatic and say you can't say this is, this is Pastor Jim or this is Jim, he's the pastor. That's, you know, I'm not, I, I, I hope that you'll think through that and decide what is right based on the word. Uh, but there's lots of ways to refer, like I, I refer to Jim as he's, he's a pastor at, uh, at the church I, that I go to. And people kind of know who he is. Or I say, yeah, Jim and Jess are the other elders of the church that I go to. Things like that. And I just, I don't need to use honorifics to refer to them. So. Yeah, especially if you're talking to Jim. Especially from you, Marilyn. That's going to make him uncomfortable. He's like, oh, Marilyn's calling me Pastor Jim, you know? That's, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit with the mindset of somebody who's an elder. I would prefer something like Jim the pastor, or Jim who is a pastor, or Jim one of the pastors, or so that it's a reference to descriptive of his position and not a title. That's all. It's not going to stop some of you, I know. <laughs> That's why I'm not trying to be dogmatic about that. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we're again thankful for your word. We look, uh, we're just looking forward to getting into some of these passages. I've kind of done, kind of been quick through a lot of it, Lord, and I just pray that, uh, that it's rightly handled. And Lord, that you would make clear uh, any, any errors or anything that, uh, that needs to be clarified. Lord, I don't want to blaspheme your word. I don't want to do that. You're, you are perfect and you're holy. And as we approach your word, we have to approach it, uh, with, with reverence and, very carefully dividing the word. So Lord, I pray, uh, I pray as we go on to our worship service, Lord, and as, uh, as Jess prepares, you would, uh, you would bless this preparation and bless it to our hearing that the word would have its impact, the exact impact that you desire for it to have, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.